Hello, all you of you out there in listener land. You got FF underscore Walrus Sean Kennedy coming at you. I have usurped FF underscore Banterman Todd Foster as his role of the host of this show. And I hope you all are looking forward to a much better experience now that my reign has begun. Who else we got in here with us? FF underscore Spaceman Dave Wright. Oh, really starting off hot there, Sean. Not letting uh, Todd speak for himself here. Todd's working really hard. He's got uh, kids coming for the first time this week for um, his classroom. So he's got he's got a ton on his plate with uh, remote learning and all that stuff. But he's actually in person. I was in person with kids for the first time this week too, or since the summer anyway. But crazy times, man. I'm excited. We've we're week one's here, man. We're we're in it. We did it. It's in the books. It was awesome to see. I wasn't convinced that we would make it here at the beginning of the summer, and I am just glad that we have. It was refreshing to do nothing Sunday but watch football and geek out. Whew. Man, it feels good, man. I, you know what that makes me do? It just makes me want to get to the question today and then start diving in on this. Yeah, crap, let's dive right in. So we're without Todd today, so we'll be we'll be speeding through a little bit more. We're just getting the two opinions instead of three. So our question of the day, David. Who is the greatest sports movie athlete of all time? So I had to think a little bit on this one. I mean, I figured I'd give a little variety for the show because we all know it's the 101 is Julie the Cat Gaffney from Bangor, Maine. <laughs> but I've also been told by the wife to tone down the Julie the Cat Gaffney references. So she getting a little jelly? I, I'm not going to say anything because I've been told to stop talking about it. So let's, let's uh, keep moving on there. But there was a couple other characters I was thinking of. Hustler, Paul Newman in, in Hustler, in The Hustler, what a great role, what a great character. And so I was really considered that before I went with a little off the beaten path here. I went Jeffrey the Dude Lebowski. Ooh. You know, he's a pretty big rec league bowler. And I, I count that as a as an athlete, my friend, to be able to drink that much, to smoke that much weed and still go out and ro- and throw down some good li- uh, little lines. Uh, <laughs> Probably a little of that too. Yeah, that too. But to, to be able to bowl some, li- you know, rack up some lanes and everything, man. And the reason is, well, sir, uh, it's this rug he had, and it really tied the room <laughs> together. The dude abides. Yeah, well, that's your opinion, man. Careful, man. There's a beverage here. She's got... She's not my special lady. She's my f***ing lady friend. <laughs> and then the aggression will not stand man. So, yeah, I, I had to go... I, I love that movie. Such a quotable movie. So that's oh, what I'm yeah. up with. Great, great, like, B cast in that, too. Philip Seymour Hoffman, John Goodman, John Turturro, Steve Buscemi. Just unbelievable cast. Sam, what's his name? Sam. Um, oh, my God. It's something incredibly simplistic. What is it? But we all, we all know who yeah, the guy with, with the, the great handlebar mustache. Voice. He's the other Ron Swanson on Parks and Rec. So that's that's what I'm going with, man. I'm not getting crazy here. What about you? I like it. I, I have nothing to say about it. I just, I love the pick. For me, it's Footsteps, Faint, Shane Falco. I know it's kind of an obvious choice. A little bit less obvious now that we're 20-ish years out from that movie being made. But I feel like in all sports movies, regardless of the sport, because that's a wide range, you have two types of main characters. You have that pompous, incredibly talented, over-talented dick that is an incredible on-field presence but knows nothing about how to be a leader or a good teammate. You got your cake eater, Adam Bankses, your Spike from the Little Giants, your Aaron Rodgers, and that's group A. And then group B is this kind of like scrappy, not big, not fast, not strong, but just heart guy. Where you have your Hamilton, Hambino Porters, your G-Baby Evans, your Gardner Minshews. And I feel like Shane Falco just carves himself out in this very Keanu Reeves kind of way, middle ground, where he has this incredible collegiate affair, except for the Sugar Bowl game that tanks him. 
but he is just unbelievable on the field. He's all about his teammates. He gets his teammates to drag the starting quarterback out of the locker room and do who knows what with him. So I just think his ability to be both talented but humble is rarely seen, and that's worth celebrating. And I also thought Ishmael Borg from Kingpin deserves a shout-out. It's a movie all about chasing girls' fame, cocaine, hair plugs, and hardware, and all he wants to do is bowl. He's just all about the purity of the sport. Yeah. That was tough. It was it was tough deciding between those two, but, you know, football wins out. It's kind of nice to not have someone giving us a bad response to question of the day. You know, we have those are two good responses there. It feels nice not to be antagonized, too. It's interesting. Like, I'm, I'm waiting. I feel like I need to attack. I'm just, I'm like on the defensive, I think, by default now on the show. But all the listeners have stressed already, Sean. We've been stressing all week. Football's yeah. back. You know, players hit, they missed. A lot of hot takes bur- crashed and burned. Mm-hmm. Some injuries already. We're, we're here to relax people. We're going to yeah. get back to the rivalry next week, even though you are and I are quite, you know, we have been known to throw a couple of jabs ourselves, but. It's a, it's a torrid rivalry that we have. Yeah. Yeah. So. Let's uh, let's skip through. Let's let's jump right into the topic of the day. So what we want to do is go back through and just take a look at some of the biggest offseason questions that fantasy football had that we talked about on our show, some that we didn't talk about, and just try and figure out how week one either answered them, left us hanging for more, or has us spiraling into further questions from them. All right. And Sean, I'm going to start you with hit you up with question right. one here. So we're, we're flying here. On the tail two rivals. We're just happy to be back. So here we go. Question one, Mark Andrews, one year wonder, or should he be ahead of either Kelsey or Kittle in dynasty rankings? So I'm a huge Mark Andrews guy. I love Mark Andrews coming out of college. I got him in every dynasty league I could when he was coming out. Love the talent. I loved too that they went out and got Hayden Hurst in the first because I'm not a Hurst guy. And all that did was put doubt on the Mark Andrews, maybe people. So being able to get him is unbelievable because he's not a one-year wonder, right? Everyone was saying he's going to have this TD regression. It's not sustainable. But I think if you watched him on Sunday, you saw, A, that one-handed catch that he went up and made, amazing. But his second touchdown, simple crossing route, Jackson on the bootleg, open, done, designed play. He's not just a safety valve guy who's getting looks in the red zone because he's 6'8 or something. He's not a Jack Doyle, no athleticism, just stand still, catch the ball, fall down kind of receiver. Now, I wouldn't say he's on the Kittle and Kelsey level, right? He's big-bodied, he's sure-handed, he's fleet-footed, but I don't think he's ever going to rack up those yardage totals the way those two guys do because that's not how Baltimore is going to use Mark Andrews. I think for me, Kittle-Kelsey tier one, Mark Andrews has solidified tier two all by himself. If you're talking Zach Ertz, he's tier three at best. Interesting, Sean, because I'll have to disagree with you a little thing, little a couple little things here. Uh, I think Andrews can yet rack up that yardage. Interesting. I'm not sure how much of the Baltimore game you caught, but Lamar Jackson looked good throwing the ball. He did. He looked real good. He looked even more mature in the offense. A lot of positive things from from Lamar Jackson, which gives me hope for Mark Andrews. But also on top of that, I think we have Mark Andrews is the go to target in the red zone or maybe on the field in general. So, like, I agree with what you're saying because of Hurst. I think last year, Mark Andrews' product, or snap share was 43%, which is not good, even though he finished as a, I forget where he finished overall at tight end, but he was a very high-end tight end last year. He was year. mid. He was like five or six, I believe. That's pretty good for a tight end with a 43% snap share. And then the question was, well, is it a one-year wonder like we were, we were talking about? Now that uh, Hurst is gone, well, let's see how he did. And he had a 71% snap share last week in week one, and that's all I needed to see. 
those red zone shots and Lamar Jackson is balling on all levels and he's getting the snap share and he's going to get, and he got the target share too last week. That's all I need. I, I've been toying with the idea of putting as my tight end one, because as you know, which I think you incorrectly referred to me as, I am now Dr. Spaceman. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I didn't realize you had your degree and were coronized. Kittle is Coronated. already in doubt for week two. He is a, he might not suit up for week two. And Sean, I just, what can I say here? So yeah, <laughs> I, I like the idea of Mark Andrews. I think the idea that he's the number one in uh, op- option in a high-flying offense is off the roof here. So whew. I think you absolutely nailed it that Lamar Jackson, he looked more confident. He looked poised, decisive in his reads and how he was making the passes. So you're locking it in. On air, locking it in, tight end one. Why not? You know? Why not? I don't have Todd here to chirp in my ear, so why not? Let's go. Let's do this. (laughs) All right. There's been a lot of speculation about the Rams offensive line, the tight end, like how the tight ends are going to be used, RB by committee for the Rams. After week one, do you feel that we have a clear sense about the Rams RB situation or any, what are your feelings overall with the Rams running backs? I mean, not, not great. I feel like I have to eat a lot of crow here on this one because it was two weeks ago that I very emphatically said it will be Cam Akers. Malcolm Brown will be irrelevant. No committee at all. Not even in the beginning. He's going to come right out and soar. And he crashed and burned immediately. He might not even have made it off the runway. He got like a flat tire as he was ramping up. You know, the, the offensive line, I don't feel like I learned a lot about it during the game. It looked it looked pretty good. They were getting a lot of separation off the line. And it seems like Brown was able to do a lot of things and Akers wasn't on the same plays. And that concerns me, first of all. Second of all, it makes me wonder, was Brown bailing the line out? Was Akers that bad? And I think I need another week to try and suss that out. But the line certainly looked better than it did last year, which is good. In Brown's favor, though, to his credit, Right, and games where in his four years he's had a forty percent snap share, he's averaging fourteen carries, fifty nine and a half yards, and half a touchdown with three receptions and eleven yards for those games. So if you extrapolate that out over a full season, that's like mid RB two numbers. That's like RB fifteen, sixteen, which is good. You know that team I think had enough holes that they probably could have rolled that out. They have Henderson as the backup and said like we're comfortable here. This will be enough at least for now. And what do they do? They take their first selection in the draft and they go out and they get Cam Akers anyway. And that just, I don't know, that still is putting off red flags in my brain that says it's, it's going to be Cam Akers. Brown fought him off for now, but he's probably going to have to fight him off week for week. Because I feel like even though Brown was obviously the clear winner this week, Akers is probably still going to be looking at 8 to 10 touches next week. Hopefully a little more receiving work because the one reception really isn't good. You know, the better Brown does, if you're looking to acquire Cam Akers, if he's the guy for three or four weeks, you might be wanting to send out a field. That person might be panicking, thinking this will never happen. And Brown's gone after this year. You know, there's no way he's coming back because he's either going to play his way into a great contract or the Rams aren't going to be able to bring him back because their money situation is crazy bad. I blew this call. I'll eat all the crow, especially since Todd's not here to jam it in my face. (laughs) But I think that all signs still point to Akers, but. Malcolm Brown is doing a hell of a job of fighting him off for right now and keeping it at least a committee, if not his backfield. So Malcolm Brown looked a little leaner and quicker to me. I, that was just watching anecdotally, mm. you know, and I, you know, I'm such an expert film watcher, but that's, that's my <laughs> take. Where, did it you... seemed like he was at the line incredibly fast. Like by the time you knew he had the ball and they were done with the, the option read, 
He was already at the linebackers. Brown had 17 more opportunities than Akers, uh, which is more, and he was more efficient with those opportunities as well than Akers was. And he was the, he got the goal line work, which was a, those are big things for me coming out to start with. And then I was shocked, but Brown out targeted Akers four to one. I don't think we would have called that going into this week. Would you? No, never. And all that being said, and I agree with a lot of what you said, I'm not giving up on Akers by any means. I still believe in his talent. He's an uber-talented player. It's week one. We've all the things we've talked about with COVID and the and the offseason, the lack of all that stuff. And, and Dallas isn't a shabby team by any means either. So I'm not giving up. What all this does really for me is I think that the breakout that you talked about, you thought was going to be right out of the gate. I think this is going to delay that breakout where it's going to be a committee for longer into the season before that Akers finally hits his rhythm and eventually takes over. So I might be worried in my redraft ADP here, but as far as dynasty, I'm not swinging at all. But I mean, who knows? Maybe in a couple of weeks, we're going to be picking up Akers off the waiver wire. Yeah, that, that would be nasty. Yeah, people did that with Chubb. Yeah, people that, did could, it with Chubb. that could be a league winner. Well, keeping it tight, moving to the next question. So we spent a lot of time, and everyone's been spending a lot of time, talking about these rookie RBs coming into this season. And we'll get into the rest of them later. But clearly, the RB1 is either CEH or JT. Who you got? <sighs> this is way closer than I would like to admit, based on some of the stances that I've taken over the offseason. I mean, as you know, I was all in JT all the way, baby. I didn't see, didn't see CEH coming out and dominating the carries in week one. Right from the get-go. I just didn't see it. So, now let alone the entire, like, the possibility of him doing <laughs> the entire season. And then also the getting the goal line carries. I think he had six goal line carries, even though he didn't capitalize. I think he was, was over on all of them, but that doesn't yeah. matter. He's still getting, just the point that he, got, the fact he got it's a big deal. I didn't expect that. Uh, and it just makes me think that he's going to be not reliant on game script because he, yeah, he didn't get a lot of targets or even, I don't even think he registered a catch in week one. But we all know his receiving ability is there. So if he's going to be getting carries when they're ahead, and then in games where it's a shootout or it's close or they come from behind for the Chiefs and they're high flying and he's getting targets on, on top of that, holy, holy smokes, watch out. And I was, right before we hit record, I, I was looking at some of the advanced metrics. He had nine evaded tackles on 25 attempts. Wow. Insane. It was something like a 36% juke rate, two big runs, which was huge. Unbelievable. Yeah. CH is real right now, though. I'm not going to. I am. We are playing dynasty. This is a dynasty conversation, even though RBs matter incredibly amount in the short term. I'm not going to change how I feel about having Jonathan Taylor over CH in week one. I think he's definitely narrowed the gap. I um, and then overall, I have now have JT and CH as my RBs four and five in dynasty. They're hopping up over the Alvaras wow. over. Uh, the Chubb, I mean, I think Miles I already Sanders. Have, yeah, I think Miles Sanders, just because of how the Phillies offensive line is looking. Mm-hmm. It's I, I, and then you know with Marlon Mack going with going down, unfortunately, because he looked good, and and we we like Marlon Mack on the show. I think you and I have have, have yeah, liked yeah, him a lot Mack in the past. Fan. So I just don't. I I believe in my initial JT evaluation, and who, and then also looking back, would you have believed me that uh, six catches? On six targets for 67 yards for Jonathan Taylor? No. no, Nobody would. And that was something like 12 routes. So he was targeted on 50% of his routes? That's insane. Things could get really interesting for both of these players. I think we have something exciting to go 
for a long time ahead. I don't blame anyone that wants to put CH over there, but I'm just still going to bank on that talent that I believe that JT has. And, but who knows by the end of the season? But that, I'm going to stick with that. What about you, Sean? Yeah, for me, for me, I am one of those people. I'm going CH over them. I mean, both of these guys, just incredible players. Like you said, if you have them ranked four and five in Dynasty overall, that's not by accident. And I think the second Damian Williams opted out this year, my needle immediately went to CEH. Um, Marlon Mack going down, that sucks. Now, at this point, we know it's an Achilles and he's out for the year. And I believe this is his contract here. So, I mean, it's, it's JT moving forward all the way. And I, I still think I'm giving the edge to CEH. And I think despite all those amazing receiving stats you just dropped, you know, the 6 of 6, the 50% target on routes run. And yeah, CEH didn't do that, but he's going to at some point. Yeah, we're, we're not going to we're not going to knock, knock down his receiving ability. That's yeah, not what we're right. doing here. And there's no way Naheem Hines is just going away because he was great. And Philip Rivers can target running backs out of the backfield like nobody else. So that volume will be there. But I think just that that little handicap of Hines with Taylor is enough for me to take CEH over him because I think their talents are pretty comparable in what they can do. But I just think that there's. I mean, you saw Daryl Williams on the field a couple of times, but nobody else is getting in the mix for KC. He had like a 27% opportunity share or something like that. So a decent amount, especially early on. And then CH just took over. Oh, but. yeah. And, then, you know, those goal line, like you said, the goal line work, the 0 for 6, like not great. But anyone who watched that game, you're going to watch it. And like he, by the time he had the ball, he was already going down because somebody was tackling him. The Texans front just blew right through the Chiefs. So that'll come. He'll rip off big runs. He'll catch. It'll be there. And I think, you know, some people might be hesitant because they're the Chiefs and the Chiefs have all these weapons. And on the other side of it with Indy, you've got T.Y., who's banged up a lot and had those two pretty bad drops on that last drive. I don't know if you watched that game. Drops don't matter. Drops don't matter. Well, if we're talking about which wide receiver core is going to be better, though, you're talking about reliability of T.Y., the unknown of Michael Pittman. Who knows if Paris Campbell, I mean, he showed great things if he's going to catch on. But I think C.E.H. is the third and possibly even second target for the Chiefs once he gets rolling in the pass game. Travis Kelsey will always be number one, but I think there's a very real scenario here where CEH sees more volume than Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill will be more productive because of the depth of his targets and his touchdown ability and everything, but I think in terms of volume to make him the running back one over Taylor, CEH has all the room in the world to do that. I I should say too, Sean, uh, two two things, real two, I should say really quick. CEH is going to see a lot lighter fronts than Jonathan Taylor. Correct. Yeah, good point. Even though Jonathan Taylor did show that he can actually catch the ball. I mean, I don't think it was anything amazing. He did have one big run or one big catch, but I just think that the versatility that CH provides, but not even just him, but the whole offense as a whole makes it so he's going to face a lot of lighter fronts. So that could be a thing too. So it's, I don't blame any, I don't blame you at all for this. And then second thing too, I was in a group chat. Actually, was that, I think we were on zoom for the, the chief Houston game. And those first two carries of CH getting stuffed, I enjoyed way too much. <laughs> I enjoyed it way. I'm gonna go on the air. I I didn't realize because I was all in on the JT versus CH debate. How public were you about that, or did you just kind of sit in your chair and just like internally take a victory? Oh, no. oh I you, got. Oh, you oh I was all. Out. I didn't do it on Twitter or anything, but in the group chat or in the 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 group with everyone. Oh, I was I was just turning the knife. I was really enjoying it. <laughs> And then, of course, and then, and then I was like, oh, that was a good run. Then he had like a 12-yard run. I was like, oh, that was a nice run. And then I was like, oh, okay, that was fun while it lasted. But yeah, so we had a lot of fun with the Michael Dynasty crew over there and, and the uh, contender connection and uh, John over there. But yeah, nice. so it was a lot of fun. So ready to move on to the next question? Oh, yeah, let's hit it. 
All right, so let's continue with the RB, the rookie RB talk. Rank these five rookie RBs in you know in in your for dynasty purposes in order: AJ Dillon, Zach Moss, Joshua Kelly, James Robinson, and Antonio Gibson. So I went Gibson, Kelly, Robinson, Moss, and then Dillon. And I think with Gibson, you know Peyton Barber came in, he vultured some touchdowns, which was not great to see. But I think the silver lining there is is that they gave Gibson those looks. You know, he was heavily involved in the red zone, and then it was like third and one on the goal line. So, yeah, you put Peyton Barber in in that situation. You'd be crazy not to. And it won them the game. So, I mean, obviously it was the right call. But I think their willingness to use him, Bryce Love not being able to see the field. I mean, just being a healthy scratch is concerning, even if he was active and not playing. Like, that wouldn't be great. But the fact that they were just willing to go without him and his skill set, despite... Ron Rivera talking him up was jarring to me. So I think they're all in on Gibson, the top seed in the NFC West right now, which who thought we'd be saying that? Hello. Um, so yeah, Gibson for me was one. Kelly, I think all the devoted carries he saw, like, yeah, Eckler had the 18 carries most he's had, but Tyrod also didn't run, which I think speaks more to Kelly and what they're going to use him for. Because I think Eckler's going to see the passing work. Everybody knows that. But if Tyrod's not going to be mobile, they're going to be in a lot more second and three, bang between the tackles, just hammer it through, get the first down. And that's not Eckler, that's Josh Kelly. And at some point, they look they look terrible on Sunday. If they keep looking that bad, they're going to turn it over to Herbert. And I think Herbert's going to call for Kelly a lot more than Tyrod does. So I think he's here to stay. The red zone work, all of it. James Robinson up next. I just think the lack of Chris Thompson at all, who kind of became like this late sneaky fantasy darling, says a lot. You know, he didn't really have any passing work, but no running backs did. And just him getting involved. He had all the, he had what, 16 carries for 60-ish yards. If he gets some red zone work, if he's involved in the passing game, he could potentially be an asset moving forward because this is a team that's going to need a ton next year. And they might not really be willing to invest a draft pick in a running back. Now, the only thing that makes me nervous is if they're going to go out and try and sign a big-name guy because you had all these guys hitting free agency, which now are becoming less and less as people get signed. Um, Zach Moss didn't, didn't do much for me. I think they're, between him and Singletary, they were both just terrible. Like Moss didn't do anything to unseat Singletary as the RB1. Singletary definitely didn't do anything to keep Moss on the bench. But I think whoever it ends up being, it doesn't matter as much because Josh Allen is the running back one on that team. So then you're talking about these guys like carving up partial shares, some receiving work. So I don't know. I just, I don't see it. I'm not a big Zach Moss guy anyway. And then AJ Dillon, I just had to put at the bottom because he didn't do anything. And you saw somehow Jamal Williams is still in the mix. I mean, I would say AJ Dillon is probably better than Jamal Williams, but at least now, A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones owners can kind of bridge the gap. They can come together, have a little peace treaty after the draft last year and say, what the hell is going on with Jamal Williams? Why is this still a thing? As someone who is heavily rostered Aaron Jones, is this a little uh, Jamal Williams PTSD we're coming through here? Oh, yeah, 100%. I can't tell you how many Green Bay games I watched last year and the year before. Just th- thinking like, this is unbelievable. Like, Aaron Jones, boom, out of the backfield. 
eight-yard run, first down. Next play, 25-yard reception into the red zone. And then what do they do? Oh, Mike McCarthy or Zach or whoever it is which year. All of a sudden, they roll out Jamal Williams, and he loses like five yards. <laughs> of course he does. Keep the other guy in. Uh, that I had, uh, yeah, so I feel you there. But, and I, I agree with a lot of what you did, what you said, actually. All right, this is, what I, this is what I'm feeling a lot like you in a lot of ways. I'm going Antonio Gibson, Joshua Kelly, James Robinson, Zach Moss, A.J. Dillon. And the reason for that is, for a lot of what you said with, with um, Antonio Gibson, I agree with, I think Washington looks competent. You know, the upset over Philly, that was impressive. Haskins looks competent. Rivera brought some stability to that organization. Uh, Gibson had one big run. He did get one touch on the goal line. So I, I could definitely see the upside there because Peyton Barber getting, uh, is he going to have two touchdowns every game? I don't think so. Just the, the ceiling for Antonio Gibson is just has him there. And then Josh Kelly at number two, I, as you remember, I, Sean, I was chirping a little bit of Josh Kelly, especially early on in the rookie process. And, and I asked Todd if how he felt about Josh Kelly and Todd's not worried about him, whatever. And I don't blame him because Austin Eckler is a great player. I just think the, the, the fact that Kelly got the goal line carry, and like you said, they're not going to play. Josh Kelly isn't going to play Cincinnati every week. They're not going to, so they're not going to be, Austin Eckler's not going to get the chance to run the ball 20 times every, almost 20 times every week. I think there's going to be a lot more targets for Austin Eckler. A lot of carries go, I think it's going to go back to similar to the Marvin, Melvin Gordon rule, maybe not as many uh, targets for Kelly, but I think it's going up. To go back to that. And then James Robinson, holy smokes, did he have some hut advanced metrics last week? So like all the stats you said, but then he also had six evaded tackles. He had one catch for 28 yards. He and he he had like 80% of the opportunity share for Jacksonville. That is bell cow level work. Yeah, they're not gonna get a lot of red zone work probably in Jacksonville, but Gardner Minshew showed he was competent. And, you know, 19 and 20 more than company. He showed that he, he had some little pizzazz there. And you could see James Robinson could definitely become an, a, a solid RB2 for you. So, yeah, I, I like that. And why do I have him over Zach Moss? Is because a lot, like you said, I don't, what did Zach Moss do to differentiate himself from Devin Singletary last week? Not, nothing. If anything, Devin Singletary played better. Yeah, Zach Moss got a lot of the red zone work, but Singletary was more efficient. Zach Moss was kind of, he didn't really do anything when he had the chaps. He did have a nice catch. That was a nice catch he had. But besides that, that was it. So I don't, I could, and, and then like you said, Josh Allen. So I, I, that's why I'm lower on Zach Moss. And then what? I think there was five snaps for AJ Dillon. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it, so, yeah, that's why I have him where he is. So. Yeah. I mean, we know he's Todd's guy. So Todd yeah. loves him. So it's great to. And his brother take, too. Take his brother loves him. Oh, yeah. Just something about the Fosters. We, I think that I think we were a little bold in our takes there. I, I like it. That's good. We should yeah. be. I like I like that our process was pretty mirrored though. And we had a lot of the same placements. Yeah. All right. So Hayden Hurst, right? Offseason darling gets traded to Atlanta. Everyone envisions him going into that Austin Hooper role, making good on that first round pedigree. Do you think he's going to be that Austin Hooper, that breakout top level wide receiver, or is he just a role player, fourth, fifth? option at best guy for this Atlanta team that was hot this weekend I think that I think that the question says it perfectly I must have written that question <laughs> yeah I think he's a fourth or fifth option we you know Sean we we've been on this from the get-go with 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 Hayden Hurst three for 38 wasn't terrible it wasn't terrible he had some a, one deep throw that he almost connected on he just missed I don't want to hate 
just what really bothered me was the analysis around Hayden Hurst. I didn't see him take the Austin Hooper role last week. I don't think so. I didn't. Did you see it, Sean? No, not at no, all. No, he didn't. He was more of a down the field player. He was not getting those those intermediate and and short targets. Those that Matt Ryan relied on. Russell Gage went in and took Hayden Hurst's lunch. Everyone who was all about <laughs> Hayden Hurst equals equals Austin Hooper. No, Russell Gage went and drank your milkshake. Drank all their milkshakes and showed him what was what. So yeah, no way. And I don't think Hayden Hurst is going to be a bad player. I think it's going to be valuable for that offense per se. But you shouldn't have been draft been drafting him in fantasy. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with that. Love the uh, there will be blood drop there. Fantastic. And I w- I wasn't a Russell Gage guy coming into the year, but damn, did he show out? He I matched mean, he everyone was, with targets. It's phenomenal. Over a hundred yards, just fantastic. And I think we're going to look back at this season at the end of the year. And when we were doing our tight end show three or four weeks ago or whenever it was, I had rolled out, these were the mid-round tight ends two years ago, and this is how they finished. This was the mid-round tight end three years ago. This is how they finished. And the writing is on the wall for most of those guys to never pay off, and Hayden Hurst will be one of them because he couldn't separate himself from Mark Andrews, and there were times where he was outsnapped in Baltimore by Nick Boyle. So I think if he can't even get on the fields in Baltimore where they were pretty open for pass catchers last year, He's never going to be able to do it in Atlanta where they have Jones, they have Ridley, apparently they have Russell Gage too because damn was he good. And there's no way that moving forward, Todd Gurley is only going to have one reception, two receptions on a week. I think there's slow targets wasn't bad for him, but you were hoping for more of a, a higher target share, especially on how many throws Matt Ryan had. Yeah, and I think, you know, he only had like 14 carries, I think, and they kind of said all offseason, they're going to get him going, they're going to try and manage him. But this division is going to be competitive. They have a tough schedule. And I think you're going to see Gurley become that kind of safety valve, intermediate guy that Hooper was, that Hurst isn't going to be. And I think at best, he becomes the fifth option on this team behind Julio, Ridley, Gage, Gurley, then maybe Hurst. Yeah, think about how many times I threw the ball and look where he finished in the totem pole. And then also... Even yes, maybe this is just week one. Let's not let's not jump off the cliff, right? For just because we're confirming a bias here, so let's just try to look at the other side of the coin here and try a positive thing. Even when you try to get positive with Hayden Hurst, is that he's going to be fighting for that third receiving opportunity between Gurley and Gage every week Mm -hmm. at minimum. He's not. We saw he's not touching the top two, so I don't want to depend on that at tight end. So yeah, Sean. All right, moving into the next one and Dave's favorite. Kenyon Drake, big topic of conversation for us and for everybody this offseason. Week one against the 49ers, did pretty okay. Not not stellar by any means, but he finished with a stat line of 16 carries for 60 yards and a TD, and he had two catches for five yards, so nothing. What did you think, Dave? Did this confirm any of your suspicions? Did it change your mind at all? Sean, I have to say, uh, I'm surprised I made it this long in the show without without getting to this. You know I that you were, I want to beat my chest. I thought you were going to scream it right at the opening. <laughs> so, so I feel like the the show as a whole is behind this anti Kenyon Drake take as a or RB one in Dynasty or in redraft. And I think you know it pretty sums it up pretty easily here that Drake only scored one more fancy point than Chase Edmonds on twice as many <laughs> touches. I, I mean, I'm not good at math or anything, but I think that's pretty good. So are not are not that great, Bob, for uh, 
for Kenyon Drake. And the more I think about it, and I don't, and looking at the way this backfield played out, I do not think that Drake is going to lose the job entirely to Edmonds, and this is just going to become Edmonds' backfield without an injury or just a coach's. I don't see it, but I do believe Edmonds is going to work his way into a full blown committee. Edmonds saw 38% of the opportunities in week one, earned five targets to Drake's two, and was more efficient with his touches than Drake. And then if Drake goes down, rocket ships go. We're probably going to have another emergency <laughs> ed, emergency Edmonds podcast with Todd. Todd's going to hop in here. So that's the that's the beauty of why we were advocating for for Chase Edmonds all along. And it, I think we saw it, saw it perfectly play out in week one. Yeah, I agree with you. I think especially too, just to highlight, you know, you said it'll never just be Edmonds. He'll never just fully take Drake out. And I think you saw that because Edmonds came out pretty hot. I think he had his touchdown reception in the first quarter. He had a decent amount of his carries earlier on, and he was clearly outshining Drake. Now, Drake, I'm not sure if they were slow rolling him. You know, he had his foot in the boot earlier in the week or what the deal was, but it seemed that they weren't necessarily willing to just ride the hot hand. Because, right, hot hand logic would say, we'll just keep rolling Edmonds out, keep letting him go. But they had sustained drives where it was just Edmonds or it was just Drake, and I think that's what you're going to see all offseason is Drake is going to carve his way into, you said 38%, like 38, 40, 45%, probably more of the passing work than Drake will get. But these are guys with similar skill sets, and I think they're going to use them like that. It's just interchangeable. I love it, Sean. Let's keep this train rolling. All right. The takes this offseason were scorchingly hot surrounding Dallas, even on this show, or even a host, not who shall not be named, had a couple hot takes about the Dallas wide receiver situation. Rank these Cowboy wide receivers for dynasty purposes. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to try and pick up that hot torch and keep running with it for he who must not be named. But I would put them C.D. Lamb because him showing out and having 60 yards, a double-digit target count in week one of his NFL career with no preseason at all is very, very telling of A, what he can do, but more importantly, what the Cowboys think he can do and what D- Dak Prescott trusts him to do. And I think this is only the beginning. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be hot here. I'm going to put Gallup second, and I'm going to put Cooper last. Because I think... Can I ask you a quick question, Sean, you before go you go ahead. any further? Oh, yeah. Did you watch the, the whole game? I watched three I watched three quarters of it. I missed the end. So you like, missed Amari Cooper ball out. Yeah, I did. I missed most of it because I, okay. I was pretty so surprised the next morning <laughs> when I woke up to see he went 10 for 14 and 81 yards. I think when I fell asleep, he had had like three catches and probably like 20 yards. So that, that was shocking and it kind of undercuts me here a little bit and I'm not crazy about that. But I'm going to commit because we've had seven-ish, six-ish years of Cooper now at this point and we know what we know about him. When he balls out like he did Sunday, it can come out of nowhere and it's seemingly unsustainable for him because at some point he will kind of just disappear into a either an injury or just air. And he'll post this three reception for 15 yards on five targets kind of week where he just gets either swallowed up by a defense or something's going on. And I think his contract is nuts. I think there's no way Dallas pays him $20 million a year for the next four years after this. It's just his production seems unsustainable. You know, Gallup, he had the least of me had three receptions for 50 yards, but he had the big, I saw the clips, you know, I was asleep. I saw the clips afterwards of 
the uh, offensive PI call with Jalen Ramsey at the end. Oh yeah, that was a that, that was a that was not a that was a bad call. That Gallup was a terrible have. call. You should never make a call like that. A, but B, especially that late in the game. But had that have gone through, you're talking about he's probably the most productive receiver on the night. Then at that point, he wasn't scoring a touchdown there, but he would have. It was a big play, and who knows what they would have done in the red zone there? Who who would have scored that touchdown? But I hear I understand everything you're saying here, Sean, and it's still Amari, CD, and Gallup for me, and they. There's no denying they all showed off their talent last week. Every single mm-hmm. one of them was good. Uh, every time Dallas doesn't score, I just scratch my head and wonder <laughs> how that's possible. I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. So, and then I like, um, and also too, CD looked impressive, especially in the first half. I think he did make a couple of rookie mistakes. He didn't pick up that a first down when he should have. Yeah, and I think he tried to show some physicality. I don't think he quite had it against these NFL caliber defenders, the same physicality he did in college. So I think that's just learning how to play, but he looked great. And like, and like you said, Amari went, or like we were talking earlier, Amari went off in the second half, especially down the stretch, 10 to 14. That's, I think that was over a 30% target share. Amari's still going to eat. And, you know, you can call me Dr. Spaceman. We're gonna start calling you Sean, Miss Cleo for telling the future. I like that. Uh, so that's that what we're going to say here. So, I, I mean, I think ultimately what we have to say here is that this offense is going to be special. And Dak is going to, should eat this season. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, he did, he had these receivers ball out. He only had the one touchdown pass, but that was against Aaron Donald, mm-hmm. who just made people look dumb and infantile all night. He's just, I don't understand how a person like him is possible, but he was tearing it up. And Dak still looked pretty damn good. It's just, it's going to be nuts. Let me ask you an overall question about the Cowboys. Jarwin's gone for the season, we know, right? Mm-hmm. What does that mean for those targets? Because a lot of people had him pegged. You know, the, everyone was talking about the Randall Cobb, the um, Jason Witten, 160-ish available targets, and Blake Jarwin soaking up a lot of that and potentially cutting into any CD share. Now, is this just more opportunity for the wide receivers? Is a backup tight end going to slide in here? I think what you're going to see is, and the reason why I stress that we saw all the talent from these three wide receivers, is that that's where the the, the it's going to get funneled in this offense. It's going to be wide receiver centric. Ceedee Lamb was the wide receiver three, but he had over eighty percent of the snaps. This is a three wide receiver offense. That's where the targets going to go are going to go. And if anything, maybe Zeke gets more targets. Mm. That's or or uh, Tony Pollard gets more targets. That's uh, maybe that's how some of the usage changes. But I don't really see it much and i should just clarify too just because i have gallup or cd second and third does not mean i'm hitting on them they are excellent players i i don't i think that's sometimes to make their points people will try to put down other wide receivers in this group and i think that's unfair because they've all shown to be excellent wide receivers so gallup's your lowest and if you don't have the numbers right in front of you a range how low is he in your dynasty wide receiver rankings where does he fall he is my wide, and they've changed a little bit. So these are like a week or two old, but he is my wide receiver, like 32. Yeah, all right. So that's not terrible. Some people have him higher. I don't think wide receiver 32 is terrible. Top and wide receiver three territory. Yeah. All right. Ready for the next one? Yep. Okay. Tight ends. Back in that. Are we witnessing a TJ Hawkinson, a Noah Fant, OJ Howard, and Jonu Smith breakout campaign this year? All were great on Sunday. We could talk about this for the rest of the show, but I'm going to give it to you fast, hard and fast here. Ooh. 
saucy. My love for Swift and his weapons in that offense really clouded how much I despise the coaching <laughs> decisions in Detroit. Why is TJ Hawkinson only getting 64% of the snaps and only 5% of the air nards? Why is he not being as a, a, used as a weapon and attacking down the field, especially with Kenny Galladay not in? Why, why, why? It doesn't make sense. I think the way they're using him, and mind you, he, he was coming off an injury and all, and all this, this stuff, So, and it's only one week. I have, I'm getting a growing sense in me that I was overlooking just how bad the coaching decisions are in Detroit. I think maybe the top five upside that some were hoping for Hawkinson to achieve this season, because that's what his upside really is, might not happen. But I still think he's a tw- he's going to return his redraft ADP. He's going to be a top 12 tight end. So yeah, I love it. Howard saw less than 50% or only 50% of the snaps but was second on the team in targets. So that's interesting moving forward. And Gronk was kind of non-existent in that, in that offense. So I'm just, ho- I think, I don't think he's going to break out this season. I do think that his value will grow to where it had, had plummeted at the end of last season. So I think that his value will grow and we will see why his true talent that everyone thought he had is. Do you think that's fair? I think that's fair. I think what we've seen that won't go away is the OJ Howard mental lapses breaking the route the wrong way, not securing the football. So I think that's going to cap it. But I think I think he's in there. Also, we have to remember, too, Mike Evans was was banged up in this one. So who knows when Mike Evans is, inj- is not as hampered by injury. But I still, I'm still feeling good about O.J. Howard, at least, whereas things were dark at times this offseason for him. <laughs> and then I love seeing... So going to John Smith, it's a good sign that the two tight ends scored. Michael Pruitt came in and vultured a touchdown, but at least they were targeting tight ends and they both got touchdowns. The problem is, how many times is Tannehill going to throw the ball 40-plus times in a game? Not very much, I don't think, in the way that they want to run this offense. And just only 13 air yards for John Smith. What the On seven targets. <laughs> how, these coaches are driving me insane. Don't even get me going on Mike Zimmer. And how slow pace of game he was playing out in Minnesota. Holy, second slowest defense. Terrible. But anyway, and then, so I I think John, who is a talented player, he's going to be a fringe tight end one. And maybe with touchdowns, he's a a mid-range. But I don't think he's going to be in that upper echelon that some are hoping with these breakout tight ends. He's not going to have a Mark Andrews level year, is what I'm trying to say. And then Noah Fant looks like, I think he's a real deal. I think he's a real deal. 18.8%. Percent target share on at 81 receiving yards, and he looked explosive with the ball in his hands. Unfortunately, I was watching that game, and I I, I missed the the, the second half, uh, so I didn't watch the whole game. But I was looking Drew Locke's ability. I don't. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to unlock this offense. He was not very efficient at times. I think his completion percentage was okay, but his air yards. I think all the passes he he actually completed were pretty shit. Not that great. I think Drew Locke, especially when Cortland Sutton comes back. And maybe Noah Fancy the second or the third option here. I'm worried about it, but I think Noah Fancy the real deal, and he is going to be a tight end we're going to be talking about for a long time. Hmm. So running right through them, same order. Um, I feel the same way about Hawk. Like the silver lining to that is, is he's still succeeding despite these coaching decisions. You know, yep, five yep. five catches, fifty ish yards, a touchdown. That's a good week for a tight end. I don't think Matt Patricia survives this season, and I think whoever's going to take over is just going to say, all right, like we're playing from behind a lot. We are behind in the division, in the standings. If we're going to do anything, we've got to just air it out. And that means Hawkinson. That means 
Galladay, that means Jones, all of them going deep, being heavily involved, Stafford balling out like he was last year, hopefully trusting Swift to give him another pass attempt because that was just heartbreaking to see for that kid. Um, but I think I think we still have yet to fully scratch the surface with him. And I think once the coaching decisions stop holding him back, whether it's this year or next year, like so if this year turns into a mini breakout, Next year would be the full breakout, but I think the full breakout is possible this year as that coaching staff either fights for its life or is dead, gone, and buried and somebody else comes in. Uh, O.J. Howard, I mean, just I think this is another plug for a mid-round tight end, right? Gronk barely involved on the field, even when he is. He doesn't look great. He looks slow. He looks just like a decoy out there. It's certainly not worth the redraft capital he was getting of like eighth rounder, like crazy. And I think, like I started saying when you were talking about, I think we know kind of what Howard's ceiling is. It's not a big snap share or not a huge target rate because he's breaking routes the wrong way or, you know, whatever. But he's pulling down red zone work, which is good. Howard's going to be good. Out of these three guys, I think I'd like him the least. It's it's close between him and Smith because like, like you outlined with Tannehill, there's not going to be this much volume. It's going to be crazy. But I think there's not as much target competition there. But if Corey Davis hits, man, whoo. don't, 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 <laughs> just don't. We'll get to that in a second, David, because you know who else isn't going to be this good down the season is Adam Humphreys. Yeah, true. Right. It's going to be the AJ Brown show. And I think it's going to be John who has the two, but again, it's fighting for almost no available attempts. Um, but Noah Fant, man, just, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about Drew Locke, but I think this is going to be such a talented group that they're going to be able to buoy him enough where they're all successful. So I think Fant, I totally agree. We're going to be talking about him for a long time, and he is a tight end one this year. All right, we're going to wrap it up here on that, on those hot tight end takes. Again, I am FF underscore Walrus, Miss Cleo, your new host. FF Banterman, <laughs> like JT, is gone. Dave, take us out. I Tell am. them where they can find you. I am at FF underscore Spaceman Dave Wright. You can find all my writings at DynastyHappyHourPod.com. And yeah, just shout out to Todd too. I know he really was was been out of shape that he couldn't make it tonight or this week. Uh, he'll be back with us next time. Well, in a, a week or two, once everything settles down for him it, with school. As you, so yeah, shout out to Todd. We, we do miss him. He definitely adds some spice and some flavor to the show. Sean, things some things to check out here. I have a, I've been I made a sheet, a just a Google sheet of the week one advanced metrics and just ba- all you basically needed for week one, and it took off. So people check that out on my Twitter feed for stats info from week one. And I'm going to be updating it throughout the entire uh, uh, season for each week. So that'll be and I'll have it t- ready for you quickly. So it'll be great for uh, info to use against your league mates and also uh, check out my Henry Ruggs. Anatomy of, a, uh, anatomy of a non-breakout wide receiver article and the anatomy of a non-breakout wide receiver article I wrote before that, those two articles over at Dynasty Happy Hour. I th- I thought I was really proud of those articles and I feel like we should check them out because I think we, and we'll talk about this next episode, but Henry Ruggs flashed. He, sh- he showed some stuff. So check that out, Sean. A lot of fun today, man. And oh, man, I can't believe we did it. That Week we one, it. it's in the books. Look at bro. that. We did it. Look at us.
Okay, quick question. Quick question. Shoot. Uh, any other athletes come to cross or come to mind for you for this question, or was that it? Oh, that I wanted to put. Mm-hmm. I really like. I wanted to put Spaz away, but it seemed a little too obvious and like just. I don't know. I I didn't feel good about it. I'm like I I love the replacements. That's just yeah. always where my you heart do. Goes. That's the second time that's made the the show. I believe. yeah. What's not to love? So what I, about I, you? I I had a lot. There was a lot that I wanted to do, uh, and of course I'm blanking on their names. But the the catcher in a league of their own. Dot. I think her name was Dottie. Oh yeah yeah. Um, I was gonna say the actress's name, but I can't think of it. Oh goodness, I should know that too. But uh, Gina Davis, she was a, yeah, Gina Davis, Gina Davis, long kiss, good night. She was oh, a, oh, great movie! I can't <laughs> believe I feel like I'm the only person that's ever seen that movie. Gina Davis, Sam Jackson. Yeah, that was a good movie. I really liked it. A great ending too. Oh uh, yeah. But and then I also too Benny the Jet mm. uh, from the Sandlot. Yeah, that's a good and, one. And also too, what was the the slugger who was? I think he was was he Cajun or Jamaican. In oh, major league, yeah, that uh, Pedro Serrano, yep. yeah, 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 him and Joe he, Boo. I, he's he was he's a comic. I mean, there's so many great, there's so many great ones. And oh, then yeah. a sleeper too, just because I can't stop mentioning enough for is from the love of the game, uh, mm. Billy Chapel. I, I love, I really do like just the I, the thought process in the mound. I enjoyed that. That's but, pretty good. I thought Paul Crew for a second from um, the Longest Yard. Oh, see, I guess I don't watch enough football. I guess the only football movie that I've seen. Multiple, multiple times is the longest uh, is probably Brian's song, oh. and remember the Titans. I've seen the replacements. I've seen the Longest Yard, so but I, I guess I, I'm not in love with them as much as you are. Yeah, yeah, I see. But yeah, the Longest Yard isn't great, especially the new one. I, I purposely avoid all Adam Sandler. You're not a Sandler guy. Oh, I don't like I, that side, Dave. I don't. I don't like it. I don't even know if I want to hear this. I think he's just overrated. I. I I don't think his comedies are rewatchable. That re- like I don't I don't I don't really belly and laugh too much when I see these movies again. Like Billy, Ma- I don't like Billy Madison. I just don't. I don't really. I find I don't think the humor is that clever. I I liked actually, which was even I think less clever humor is the Water Boy was was better for me. Which is I think that's a hot take. And then uh, what about Happy Gilmore? Happy Gilmore, I think, is the one that stands out as is definitely a, b- a much better movie. So are you you're just not into like the uh, infantile, like baby talking nonsense Adam Sandler? <laughs> that does not get me. It's not. I, 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 don't, I, I liked that. his comedy. I liked just liked a lot of his comedy albums, but just the bait. I didn't know. Not for me. Not the movies. Wow. What about what about his like turn into serious dramatic movies. Oh, that I forget what the, this, that was called, but I did not like 51st dates. I did not like the one that was on Netflix recently where he's the jeweler, the, the gambler. Oh yeah. That was, that was, intense. I don't want to hate on Adam Sandler because I, I don't, I don't, I, I, when I see Adam Sandler, I don't like just like, Oh my God, he's terrible or anything. You're like just, that. you're just hating on a New Hampshire native. That's what it is. Dave. I know it's hate over. See, this is, I'll pull a Mike Felger here. Overrated is different than not good. Fair. 